Welcome to Louisiana Considered. I'm Adam Voss. Just ahead on today's show, a conversation with Secretary of State candidate Gwen Collins-Greenup. And we're going to hear about how researchers at the Water Institute crowdsourced information about how deep the Mississippi River is. It turns out there are already vessels running up and down the river every day with depth finders collecting that information all the time. But first, over two months ago, the New Orleans Public Library temporarily closed its Central City branch after a staff member found mold in the building. But unlike the other four libraries in the Crescent City that also shut their doors for a period of time this summer, the Central City branch has no clear timeline for reopening. Now, community members are gathering outside the building, demanding answers and aiming to help patrons the best they can. Nate Ha has been covering this story for Verite News and joins us now for more. Thanks for being here. Hi, thanks for having me. So, if I'm reading it right, five New Orleans libraries were temporarily closed this summer. Why did that happen, and why has the Central City Library been closed for a lot longer? Well, Adam, the reason why many libraries have been closed is due to the fact that a lot of the buildings are outdated, they're aging, especially with the Central City Library branch, for example. Um, They have had issues with HVAC and mode issues for about two months now. This past summer, New Orleans surfed through one of the most extreme heat waves, and this really put a toll on the aging facilities cooling units. Um, The Central City Library is only one of the libraries that suffered. And the reason why it has taken so long for the city to reopen this library is because Central City Library is housed in the Ellie May Center, which is in fact not owned by New Orleans Public Library, but instead owned by the Department of Property Management. So it has taken them a a while to determine who is responsible for the work. And also another reason why it has taken so long is because of the mode issues. They have called in two different environmental companies to determine to try and get it reopened again. But they have found out that the HVAC units still put in mold into the location. Yeah, I know that mold issues can be a uh, complicated and expensive thing to take care of. Now, this group that's concerned about the library, can you tell me more about the group, the New Orleans People's Assembly? They've been stationed outside this library branch. What are their demands and what are they doing to make up for the neighborhood's temporary lack of library? Well, their demand is really simple. To open this library and to make sure that every of the libraries in town are well-maintained and stay open. Central City is a neighborhood that struggles a little bit. About 30% of its residents live below the poverty line. So it requires all the attention and all of the services that it can have. In the meantime, they have been rallying outside of the building and they have been showing up to meetings. They have been calling up their council member, Leslie Harris, and they have in a way served as a service. They have been helping with job applications. They have been helping with all the needs that the community has that usually the library would offer. According to the New Orleans People's Assembly, why is it, and you mentioned a little bit about this, about the low-income nature of the neighborhood. Why is it so critical to have a functioning library in this neighborhood? Who does the library serve, and how does the lack of this library, how is it impacting that community? Well, a lot of the people I've talked to mentioned that libraries are one of the only few places in the city that you can go to without having to pay something. 
And this is extremely true for central city where you know a lot of people live below the poverty line. People go to libraries to get their question answered. They go to libraries to have access to internet, to do homework, to do job applications, and to get interviews done. Um, they're a place for students to hang out and to study. So taking this away from the community is something that is extremely damaging again, which is especially true for the case of Central City. And lastly, how has the library responded to this group? Is there any new timeline that they've given for repairs to this building for them to reopen Central City and and the other libraries? Well, the city has been responding in a way that is very lukewarm and Hmm. uncertain. One of the people I've talked to, uh, Jane LeGraw, who is the library's director of communications, say that the reopening really depends on how long this repair will take. And this is important because we want people to be safe. But also, this has been really frustrating because there's no clear timeline. During yesterday, city council proposed budget hearings. Like Central City Library was brought up many times. The city spokesperson mentioned that recently there's been a contractor coming over to the site to study the situation, and they're now in the process of gathering bits for the job. Neha is a reporter for Verite News. Thank you for being here. Thank you. And from WRKF in Baton Rouge and WWNO in New Orleans, you're listening to Louisiana Considered. I'm Adam Voss. Jeff Landry may have won the governorship outright, but there are still plenty of races for Louisianans to decide in November's general election. Between now and the November 18th election date, we're bringing you conversations with the candidates running for the remaining positions in the state's executive branch. Today, we have Gwen Collins-Greenup, attorney, accountant, business owner, and Democratic candidate for Secretary of State. Gwen Collins-Greenup, thanks for joining us. Thank you for having me. Gwen, let's start by talking about the position of Secretary of State. For those who don't already know what that position does, can you give us the 101 on that role? what his responsibilities are, what part of the job you find most important? Sure, Adam. The Secretary of State's position, the primary responsibility is overseeing Louisiana's elections, but there's also an archives division that has museums. It also oversees all of the state's records, as well as the commercial division, which handles all of the business registrations for businesses that register in our state and businesses that wish to do business in our state. So the Secretary of State's office has a lot of responsibilities and duties, but the primary responsibility is overseeing our state's election. So you're the owner and managing member of Green Up Law LLC. It's a boutique law firm based in Baton Rouge. What kind of law do you specialize in and what role do you think that specialty could play if you're elected Secretary of State? Well, uh, actually been an attorney and accountant and a small business owner for many years, and I practice civil law. Basically, uh, we're a boutique law firm with law offices across the state of Louisiana and each of the nine regions. So we pretty much help our citizens across Louisiana protect all of their rights, specifically as it pertains to property rights. Um, I'm a real estate title attorney as well. I have a title company inside of my law firm, so that all works and coincides with the two nonprofit agencies, legal agencies that we have in our state. Uh, We also service their clients as well. 
If you're elected, what are your main priorities? Um, my main priorities would be using my experience as an attorney, a small business owner, an accountant, first of all, to shore up our election system. We currently have an outdated voting system. The legislature requires us to have a paper backup. Um, that law was implemented in 2021. Um, I'm proud to say that that was something that I recommended when I ran the first time five years ago. And I'm glad to see that we're all on board with that needing to be done. However, the bidding process has failed twice under the current administration. So I plan to bring, you know, the vendors who do bid on the voting machines. I plan to bring those vendors to each of the nine regions of the state so voters can test the machines much like we do when we buy a car and have an open and transparent process. So we can get that paper back up in our voting machines that we need to conduct post-election audits and people can be assured that the votes that they cast are the votes that are counted. So you mentioned the state legislature in 2021 passing that law banning the machines we currently use for voting in Louisiana requiring that paper trail. What do you think of not just that decision, but the challenges that are faced in implementing that decision? Um, I believe that it's a simple implementation process. I believe we just have to have a leader at the helm of the Secretary of State's office that's able to get the job done. Um, people have, they lost confidence in the bidding process. A lot of people felt like it was a bid rigging issue. Um, I feel like it's an issue where people just weren't able to have a meeting of the minds and work together to implement something that is best practices and it is needed for our elections to be secure. We're speaking with Gwen Collins Greenup, Democratic candidate for Secretary of State. So speaking of election integrity, the outgoing Secretary of State, Carl Erdogan, promoted the conspiracy that ERIC, a bipartisan data-sharing voter consortium, it's nationwide, the, the conspiracy that it was functioning as a left-wing voter registration drive funded by George Soros. Under Ardwan, Louisiana became the first state to pull out of ERIC, kind of setting a domino effect. If you're elected, what might you do to restore faith in the integrity of our voting system, the voting process? And do you have plans to rejoin ERIC? Absolutely. I believe that we should use all of the tools at our disposal to help us combat voter fraud as well as help us shore up and secure our elections process. Um, that will also help bring confidence back to our Secretary of State's office and our um, entire election system. I believe that we, once we replace those outdated voting machines, um, we will bring Louisiana up to number one and we will conduct continuous risk assessments and implement strong internal controls to increase our protections as well. As an accountant, auditing is a very important function of what I do. And as an attorney, protecting rights is an important function of what I do for my customers. And I believe that having an attorney and accountant at the helm of our Secretary of State's office will have that line of defense where we're not afraid of threats. Um, I'm going to open my office up and be a people-facing candidate as well as a people-facing Secretary of State. So looking back to October, turnout for that election was historically low in the October primary, especially among Democrats. You won a little more than 19% of the vote to get into the runoff. How do you feel knowing 
the turnout is so low going into the general election. And how do you think that will affect the vote? Well, Adam, it's no different than what I first started my platform on. Um, I got into this race initially five years ago because Louisiana has struggling small businesses, outdated voting machines, and nearly 3 million registered voters with less than 15% participating in most elections. Our low voter turnout rates allow about 450,000 people to make decisions for 4.6 million Louisianians. I'm a very high proponent of increasing voter turnout, and I believe as the overseer of our elections, the Secretary of State needs to be at the helm of that. So what I'm doing is putting forth a platform that will allow us to go into our middle schools and using our current voter outreach division in the Secretary of State's office, bring those machines and teach our children how to vote, why it's important, and that voting is the way we make change in our communities and our state. Um, I want them when they turn 17 and get that first ID or driver's license for us to not ask them would they like to register, but for them to tell us they are ready to register to vote. If you win this election, you'll be a Democrat working with a Republican governor and a legislature that's even more conservative than the previous term. How will you manage your job in such a partisan environment? What's your approach when it comes to working with the other side? Well, Adam, um, elections have become polarized and partisan across the nation, not just in Louisiana. But the Secretary of State's office is one position that I plan to maintain a nonpartisan relationship. I believe that our right to choose what's best for our future, our family, and our community in our state is what truly makes Louisiana great. Um, I have met all of the statewide officials. And I believe that we all want the same thing, and that's what's in the best interest of the citizens of Louisiana. And I will work with them, much like I've done in nonprofits and churches. Um, They don't have to be there. They choose to be there. And our legislatures, they, they don't have to be there either. They choose to serve us. And I respect that, and I believe that we can work together because we all have the same interests at heart, and that's Louisiana winning. Gwen Collins Greenup, attorney, accountant, business owner, and Democratic candidate in the race for Secretary of State here in Louisiana. Thank you for being here today. Thank you for having me. And just a note, we did also reach out to Nancy Landry, the Republican candidate for Secretary of State. Her team has declined an interview at this time. This is Louisiana Considered. Earlier this year, the Water Institute partnered with more than a dozen operators of vessels on the Mississippi River to crowdsource information on the depth of the river in the Baton Rouge area. We call that bathymetry, data about the bottom of a body of water. To tell us more about the science behind this project, why they did it, and how it might help the shipping industry in the area, we have Mike Miner, Director of Applied Geosciences at the Water Institute. Mike was a project lead on this. Uh, Thanks for being here, Mike. Hey, good afternoon, Adam, and thanks for having me. So without knowing much about shipping and maritime commerce, I can imagine that logically knowing how deep the the river is would be important to transportation on the river. But tell us a little about the problem you're looking to solve. Why did you do this project? Yeah, so as you might have guessed, the, the depth of the river is a very important thing to know if you're bringing in deep ships. 
Um, lately, ships have gotten bigger and bigger. That means they're drawing more water, and so they need more depth in the river. And the river is very dynamic. And so as we know, we have river floods, and we have high river, and then we, right now we're in a period of very low river. And that's seasonal. And so when the river becomes higher, the bed of the river, the bottom, changes drastically over hours and days. And so a depth at a single location might change by up to 10 feet over a few hours or a day. So that's a big deal when your ships need about 45 to 50 feet of clearance and and your river is about 51, 52, 53 foot deep at certain places. So it's very important to know the depth of the river day to day, but we don't have a tool right now that can remap the river over and over again all the time to provide new depths of the river. So it sounds like we already know how deep the river is say at one point in time, there are maps for that that's been mapped. But what you're doing, it sounds like, is something that will help people figure out how the river changes over time. That's correct. So right now the river is surveyed using traditional bathymetric surveying techniques, and it's done in key locations um, pretty frequently. And those are the locations where we know we have problems that have to be dredged a lot. One of them is at the mouth of the river at Southwest Pass, and then the other one is an area between Baton Rouge and New Orleans where the river becomes more meandering, and so sand has trouble making it through that part of the river. So those areas get surveyed somewhat frequently, some, sometimes daily, sometimes monthly, sometimes a couple times a year. But the rest of the river, um, which is of, of the ship channel between New Orleans and Southwest Pass, only gets surveyed about once every 10 years. So we don't have an understanding of how this river changes interannually or even within a decade in some locations. So our solution is is, um, we have a bunch of boats that are working up and down the river all day, every day. And every one of these boats has a depth finder on them, similar to what you use on your recreational fishing boat. And they also have a GPS. And so we can uh, figure out from that information the location of the of the boat and also the depth under the hull. So that depth under the hull that's coming off that boat, there's a lot of stuff we don't know about it. And so these are not survey grade measurements. Um, they're imprecise and inaccurate, but they're being sampled all the time. And it's the type of data that actually doesn't get used very much. And some of these boats, that depth data comes right up to the captain who's making a decision in real time. He has a screen that tells him how deep it is. But then after that, the data go away. It's not logged anywhere. So what we're doing is we've deployed a uh, app to these boats uh, onto their computer, onto a PC, and basically it logs the depth and their location from GPS and then transmits that over a uh, 4G signal to the cloud in real time. And so in that way, we're logging the, the, the depth under all of these boats that are moving around the river all the time. We're speaking with Mike Miner with the Water Institute about mapping the bottom of the Mississippi River depth information using crowdsourced information from vessels that already operate in the river. So it sounds like generally with those maps that people in shipping use, you generally have a, a snapshot picture of what the depth of the river was at one point in the past, but you're looking at figuring out how much the river changes over time and communicating that information. This is novel, and um, this is the first time this has actually been done successfully that we know of. The data that are used by these shipping companies and the tugboats that are in our fleet are um, not typical survey-grade data. And so we don't. there's some information missing about it, and so there's some error associated with it. And so we've developed a process where 
Those boats, they travel over a known depth that was measured by a survey that day. And when those boats um, have done that on five events, they become part of our fleet, our crowdsourced fleet. So we've calibrated that boat's depth to a known elevation. And by doing that, we are collecting billions of data points per year. We're now able to collect this data, process it, and turn it around pretty rapidly in almost a real-time way that can provide a decision tool to understand what the bottom of the river looks like uh, day to day instead of what we have right now, which is sometimes once every 10 years. So it sounds like this is something that hasn't really been done before. Could this be a pilot of an idea that could be used everywhere that they do shipping in rivers? Yes, this is something we think that can be used globally. It's uh, We made sure that we are doing it in a way it's nothing we're doing is unique to the Mississippi River. So it is scalable globally, and we are uh, working with other groups. Uh, For instance, the Texas Department of Transportation is interested in taking this technology and bringing it to the the Texas Intercoastal Waterway to start working on development of a real-time decision-making framework based on depths from crowdsourced tugboats. So tell us, what were the results? Any surprises about the data that you got about the bottom of the river? What we're learning is interannually we're seeing much greater change over a season in depth than we had expected river-wide. So between Baton Rouge and New Orleans, we're seeing changes of up to of five to 10 feet over a season. And when you get up to Baton Rouge over a season, we're seeing changes in bottom elevation of up to 30 feet every year. So it goes up by 30 feet and down by 30 feet, basically following the, the water surface elevation. That's pretty uh, unique. As a river geomorphologist, that's um, something we didn't expect to see except in some specific locations, but we're seeing it pretty much widespread along uh, certain river reaches. Hmm. And knowing that you're a scientist and not an economist, what can you tell us about what this information does for the transport industry in general here? Yeah, there's multiple event benefits over uh, various timescales. And because these data we're collecting are, um, I say, near real time, but we could turn them around in a day to to produce some kind of estimate of what the depth is and forecast it. It's a tool that we're working with the Port of New Orleans to develop to help them understand um, the draft available for certain ships at certain berths. So it helps them plan uh, when they can park a ship at a certain location. And that's a really big deal because if there's not draft available for some of these deeper ships, it might take them to, uh, some time. They have to go on Anchorage and a dredge might have to do some work, or they have to wait for another ship that has to leave a berth to, to get there where they have room. And in those cases, the port's telling us that downtime per day could be $50,000 or more. Um, and so there's significant benefits economically day-to-day if they have more confidence about where they can put a ship and get it there on time. And then over longer time scales of, of weeks, this is uh, important to forecast dredging. Uh, we spend tens of millions of dollars every year dredging the lower Mississippi River. And so a lot of that is, is responsive. And so here, this is an opportunity to be able to understand what's coming and uh, forecast it in, and um, be proactive and get ahead of any kind of delays, any uh, kind of shoaling or um, shallowing of the river that might result in delays of shipping. Mike Miner, Director of Applied Geosciences at the Water Institute. Thanks for being here today. Thank you, Adam. 
And that's Louisiana Considered on a Wednesday. A thank you to our guests today, Nate Hoff from the Verite Newsroom, Secretary of State Candidate Gwyneth Collins Greenup, and of course, Mike Miner from the Water Institute. Our managing producer is Lana Schreiber, and our assistant producer is Aubrey Purcell. Our engineer is Garrett Pittman. You can listen to Louisiana Considered Mondays through Fridays, 12 noon and 7 p.m. It's available on Spotify, Google Play, or wherever else you cast your pods, as, as they say. I'm Adam Voss. Thanks for listening. Major support for Louisiana Considered provided by Rouse's Markets, a Louisiana shopping experience, with additional support from Tulane School of Public Health.